0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 20th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Free trade is better than managed trade, but a big block of countries trading relatively more freely is a move in the right direction. Now that Canada and Mexico are a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, what's next? I talked to Dan Eikenson, Director of the Cato Institute's Trade Policy Studies.
1: The Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations have been going on for a few years. It really is the only game in town for trade liberalization right now. Uh, The USTR, the Trade Representative's Office, really wasn't all that interested in this agreement a few years ago. It was more an initiative of the State Department. The State Department saw America uh, re-engaging in in Asia and saw this as sort of a a way to hedge against China's rise. They saw it as more of a uh, security-driven initiative than anything else. Uh, But eventually the USTR caught on, and uh, it's still a pretty smallish setup. It's the United States and eight relatively small countries, four of whom we already have free trade agreements with. The the important newcomer is Vietnam. It's a country of 90 million people and great upside potential. But without bigger countries, Canada, Mexico, and Japan in particular, uh, it's almost laughable. Uh, We're going through these uh, – this exercise without really any real meat, uh, real real gains to be had. So, uh, two days ago, Mexico was invited by the nine participants in the TPP negotiations to join, and just uh, yesterday, uh, Canada was invited to join. Now, without those two countries, it's I, I think you know the economics of TPP is laughable. Um, the United States already has NAFTA with Canada and Mexico, which means that a lot of our production. Is already integrated in North America, so if those two countries were not in a final deal, there would be a lot of trade diversion. It would be very difficult to uh, to reap the real benefits of u s participation without you know without these these countries with whom we are so closely integrated
0: Canada and Mexico are huge trading partners for the u s but what does their inclusion in the broader uh, zone mean? Give me an example of what that might mean that Canada would not just be dealing with uh, the United States or Mexico, but would be in this sort of circular flow, I suppose, of, of trading routes?
1: Sure. I mean, Canada has done a pretty good job negotiating its own bilateral trade agreements. We're in the NAFTA with Canada and Mexico, but, but Canada has trade agreements with other countries, uh, as does Mexico. Um, ultimately, it would be good if all these agreements were integrated, so that we don't have so many different sets of rules, uh, which, which, actually represent costs of production to comply with rules of origin for these various trade agreements. It's costly and, you know, it, it, it detracts from from the value of trade. There's trade diversion because of it. Uh, and, and, you know, the best approach is through a multilateral approach, the World Trade Organization. We had the Doha round, which is dead and it's been dead for a while. And one of the reasons it's dead is because there are 153 countries uh, in, the, in the WTO and they're at different levels of development with with disparate interests. And in order to have success in that forum, uh, there's something called a single undertaking, which means nothing is agreed to, none of the multitude of agreements are agreed until all of them are agreed. And we're just we're spinning our wheels for years there. The, the allure of the TPP economically is that we're dealing with A subset of those countries uh, were committed that are that happen to be committed to 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 liberalization in a way that was not evident uh, in in the WTO. We will see uh, whether that comes to fruition. The problem is to 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 make this more economically meaningful. We need to add more countries, and when you add more countries, uh, you have more um, uh, demands uh, and more gives and more takes, and it's going to take longer. I suspect the TPP is going to take several years. I mean, the, the Obama administration was projecting it would be done by the end of this year. Uh, it, wouldn't, it would be if Obama is reelected, he'd be lucky if it's done by the end of his second term.
0: The United States doesn't even have truly free trade with Canada or Mexico. Uh, what do you advocate with respect to uh, getting the United States in some sense out of these negotiations?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of, of these negotiations. I mean, I, I like, I think we should uh, do what we can to, to, grant, to grant greater freedoms uh, to Americans to trade with whom they wish uh, to invest where they want to. Um, the best way to do that is unilaterally. We don't need the consent of other governments to get rid of our tariffs, uh, to streamline our regulations, to do what is in our interest to do. Um, but that has always been politically unappealing. But I think we may be coming around to that. I mean right now the Congress is debating the merits of the so-called miscellaneous tariff bill. In fact, every, almost every Congress since 1980 has passed a miscellaneous tariff bill, which is uh, a, a series of suspensions of duties on products that are used by U.S. producers to make their final products that those ingredients are not produced in the United States. And if we get rid of the tariff, it will deprive the U.S. Treasury of less than $500,000. So it's, it's a baby step. Uh, we should expand that to the broad array of, of uh, import duties that we have. The, the current miscellaneous tariff bill would unilaterally and temporarily get rid of about a billion dollars worth of duties. Uh, but the Customs Service collects about $32 billion uh, in, in duties. And that's only the tip of the iceberg with respect to our protectionism. We have you know, a, a regulatory regime. We have trade remedies. We have standards that prevent real competition in the United States. Because we that's politically unappealing. Uh, we the second best is the multilateral route. Get as many countries on board as possible. That's a dead end right now. So here we are at this uh, in this TPP, which is sort of the third best. So let's make the best of it. But the problem is that the, the trade negotiators are not advocating for free trade. They're, they are advocating for managed trade, and they're not pro market. They're they're pro business. They are parroting or going to bat for U.S. corporations. And meanwhile, we as consumers are waiting around for the benefits of liberalization, the benefits that could be delivered uh, really uh, with with the stroke of a pen. Um, So
0: it's a bit of a charade. It's a jobs program for trade bureaucrats, quite frankly. Our trade rules reminds me a lot of the tax code. That is, you have a lot of lawmakers who are able to extract benefits for suspending tariffs – And they derive benefits from particular constituencies for making trade rules more complicated or slightly less complicated uh, than they otherwise would be. So I guess what is the route to getting to there, the end state, uh, the constitutional amendment, there shall be free trade?
1: I think we need to make the moral case for trade, that there is no uh, legitimate scope for government to intervene in transactions, a transaction between myself and somebody anywhere in the world, if it benefits both of us, should be uh, permissible. I should a free people should have free trade. When the government steps in to say, "Well, we're going to try to influence your decision by imposing a tax on that transaction to encourage you to pursue a different transaction," well, that's that's the Pandora's box. That that means U.S. companies instead of devoting resources to productive endeavors. Research and development, you know, manufacturing, service provision, devote resources to political ends. And that's that's why Washington is thriving. <laughs> so many companies have uh, a huge presence here. Uh, it's disheartening, you know. People like Marco Rubio, for example, just was on air yesterday or the day before yesterday. Uh, you know, he's from Florida. It's a big sugar-producing state. Sugar, of course, is uh, highly protected. Uh, regardless of which party holds the White House or the majority in Congress. Rubio was supposed to be sort of a Tea Party favorite and uh, he said that he was in favor of getting rid of our sugar program when other countries did the same. Well, We we have no business producing sugar in the United States. That's something that we should be importing from the Caribbean and from Australia and from other countries. Instead we protect beet farmers in North Dakota and Colorado uh, because these programs exist. Uh, so we need to uh chase out of the shadows these programs and we need to con- you know make the compelling argument not the economic argument but first the moral argument that w- what is what is proper about this and you know the conclusion is nothing
0: and these trade agreements sort of give cover to politicians as well saying well we want a level playing field and we can only have a level playing field when everybody agrees to what that level playing field looks like
1: that's right we, uh, we're going to engage in the global economy. Uh, unfortunately, we have a trade deficit. And, you know, Americans look at that as, well, we must be losing a trade because exports are our team's points and imports are their team's points. Uh, and because we have this deficit, we, we need to do something about it. And uh, we need policymakers to open the doors uh, for our exporters, when, in fact, the biggest impediments to U.S. exporters are the regulations that they face here in the United States. <laughs> it's, it's the complicated access to inputs. It is you know, environmental regulations. It is uh, the tax system. It is a, uh, a mismatch between what we're producing and the skills that the labor force has. Uncertainty. Um, we really need to look inward. Uh, and uh, there are signs um, that uh, th- there's recently been some legislation proposed on investment. There's a recognition that we need to attract foreign investment in the United States to to grow business and to 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 provide more jobs. Um, but th- the presumption of this new legislation is, you know, maybe there's, we we we've created our own impediments. Maybe our investment regime is deterring foreign investment. Uh, we it's we're not the only game in town anymore. Ten twenty years ago, we were. Now we've got this globalization has provided this you know veritable. Galt's Gulch, right? There, there are alternatives. People can take their investment and go produce somewhere else if uh, the regulatory climate is better, uh, if uh, they're free to produce rather than uh, have to deal with bureaucracy all the time. So, I think you know that's one of the one of the real positive benefits of globalization. It's going to discipline uh, government policy and it's going to free us, you know, from the shackles of confiscatory government policy.
0: Dan Ikinson is director of the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.